The text for this morning's sermon is Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through chapter 5, verse 1. So Galatians four twenty-one through 5, 1. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Let's pray. Uh, Father, as we come to your word now, we ask that you enlighten our eyes to see the wonderful gospel the reminder of freedom in Christ now possible. Lord, I pray that we as Christians would not again submit to a yoke of slavery. God, I pray that you would quicken our spirits. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I don't always, by the way, I'm going to time it on my new watch. You guys are so gracious to give to me. You may get shorter sermons now. (laughs) We'll have to see. A lot of times I won't point you to the title, but I want you to think about this title. The Freedom of the Children of the Barren One. You see the irony there? When the barren one gives birth, free children come from her womb. You know, if I was going to ask people which testament in the Bible represents the law and which testament of the Bible represents the grace of God, 
I think people will quickly give an answer and not realize it's a trick question. Because both testaments speak of the grace of God. In fact, people struggle with the Old Testament. And the reason why they struggle with the Old Testament is because it's not law enough. It's too much grace. The default nature of the fallen human being is law. And they can't understand the God of the Old Testament. He's not fair. Let me give you an example. You you remember when David, King David, slept with Uriah's wife Bathsheba, committed adultery with her. King David was supposed to be out to war, but he was home. Bad things happen when men are not busy and at work. It happened to King David. He looks down. He sees Bathsheba bathing. He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. And so what does he do? He puts Uriah on the front lines. He tries to get Uriah to come back and sleep with his wife so he'll think it's his child. But he's too honorable of a man. He couldn't have that pleasure when his fellow brothers were at war. And so what does David do? He puts Uriah on the front line so Uriah will be killed. I want you to picture for a moment, you're Uriah's father. And you realize that King David has slept with your daughter-in-law and killed your son to hide it. You all know the story when Nathan the prophet comes to David and tells him a story and says, you're the man. You're the one. You're the evil man in the story that is killed or taken this man's lone sheep. And here's what we read in the Scripture. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Imagine being Uriah at this point. Are you kidding me? He confesses his sin, and you're going to say, the Lord has put away your sin? You're not going to die? How can this be? You see, we struggle with the Old Testament because law is built into the very fabric of our nature. The grace of God is too great. Just read through Genesis over and over and over again. You'll you'll just say to yourself, if I was God, I wouldn't do that. And we're going to look at some of those today with Abraham. You know, you might have heard this saying before, what's a redneck's famous last words? Hold my beer, watch this. And the redneck dies. It's kind of a funny thing to think about, but the sad thing is, is the fool, the ungodly fool's famous last words are... I can do it on my own. 
I can do it by law. And he goes to death. So we're going to see this morning, Paul continued to argue and plead with the Galatian church to not submit to the law, to help them see that death is at the other side. And he's going to give an allegory to help them see. If you look at your notes, three words I want to point out. Trust, see, live. In this text, we're going to see that we need to trust the promise of a supernatural birth. We need to trust God's Word. We need to see the difference in offspring between the children of promise and the children of the law. And we need to live as free children by faith in God's promises. So let's look at number one. Trust God's promise of a supernatural birth. Verse 21, tell me, you who desire to live under the law, do you not listen to the law? Now, you might think Paul's going to make the same argument he's already made. He's been making the same argument over and over again. Back in Galatians 3.10, you remember what he said? For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and to do them. He says, if you want to live by the law, you're under a curse. Why? Because you have to do all the things written in the law. You might think that's the same argument he's making when he says, tell me, you who desire to live under the law, do you not listen to the law? Certainly, chapter 3, verse 10 is a strong argument, but here he makes a little bit different argument. The law, at the end of verse 21, seems to be pointing to, not necessarily, not necessarily in this particular place, the Sinai covenant, but rather to the first five books of the Old Testament. You can speak of the law as the law of Moses, or you could speak of the law as being Genesis uh, through Deuteronomy. And uh, here, because he goes into verse 22 when he says, for it is written, he goes into Abraham, which is obviously the book of Genesis. So what he's doing here is he's basically asking them, if you want to submit to the law, have you ever read Genesis? Have you ever read the law? Have you ever read your Bible? This sounds really similar to what Jesus continually said to the Pharisees. Have you never read? These are the those who have the Bible memorized. And notice he says in verse 21, tell me you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? To know the law and listen to the law is two different things. The Pharisees had it memorized. 
but they didn't listen to it. They didn't pay attention to it. Just a practical warning here. You can know what the Bible says and not listen to it, right? Have you experienced that? You know what it says? And someone could say, well, have you listened to what it says? Because God doesn't just give us the Word so that we would be interested, but that we would listen to it, take it as authoritative to our life, and respond properly. So he goes on to his point then. Look at verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of, a, of the free woman was born through the promise. So what I want to do at this point is take us back to Genesis and start to see how Abraham's life begins to flow out. You know, we, we think of Abraham as what? The man of faith. <laughs> but Abraham is an example, a good example of living in the flesh and living in the a, according to faith. He's not a man of perfect faith. In fact, he had a child with the slave woman because he was living according to the flesh and not according to the promise. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to look at Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 10. Now many of you know that Abraham's name means father of many nations. That's not a name you would desire if your wife was barren and you could have no children. I'm sure he was the butt of many jokes. And God at the beginning of chapter 12, when Abraham was 70 years old, if you can begin to think about time, when Abraham was told certain things, it'll help you comprehend what it would be like to be Abraham, to hear the promise of God and believe in it. At the beginning of chapter 12, God told Abraham that he was going to make his family into a great nation that would bless all the earth, that he was going to give him the land of Canaan. His sons were going to inherit the land that they were walking through. And then at verse 10, we read this in, in Genesis 12. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman of beautiful, or, are you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they'll say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister that it may go well with me because of you. Then my life may be spared for your sake. Now just think about this for a minute. God Almighty spoke 
to Abraham and said, Abraham, you're going to have children. So much so that it's going to be a, a great nation. It's going to inherit this land. The whole world is going to be blessed through your family, through your children. And there was a famine in the land. And Abraham was going into Egypt and he says, uh-oh, I'm going to die. What should Abraham be doing right now? Wait a minute. I'm not going to die. God just promised me I'm going to have children that are going to be a great nation. I don't need to scheme. I can trust the promise. But what does Abraham do? He schemes. And God protects Sarah so that she's not defiled. And so what's the consequence for Abraham? Look at chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Right after the story, so Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. Now wait a minute. Doesn't this bother you? God gave Abraham a promise. Abraham acts according to his flesh in Egypt. And Abraham leaves rich as can be. What's the deal with this Old Testament? What's the deal with this God of Israel? Is that how you would treat Abraham if you were gone? So Abraham received the promise at 70 years old. 16 years later, Ishmael is born. You know the story. Sarai says, I don't think it's happening. I don't think this is working. Why don't you take my maidservant, Hagar, and take her as your wife, and God will give you children through her. Now think of it. You're 70, you get the promise. That's a pretty amazing promise that your barren wife, whom you've tried through all the fertile years of childbirth, hoping and praying for a child, at 70 you get the promise, you wait 16 years, and they begin to do what you and I would probably have done much sooner. They begin to scheme. Okay, God does want to give us children, but maybe He wants to do it. Maybe we got to kind of figure out how to get it done. And so He has a child, Ishmael, with the slave woman, Hagar. And then in Genesis chapter 17, verse 15, God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be your name. So right after Ishmael is born, I will bless her, and moreover, I'll give you a son by her. I will bless her, and, sh and she shall become nations. Kings of, of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, 
Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No, but Sarah shall be your wife and shall bear you a son. You shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. So 86 years old, he has Ishmael. 14 years later, God says, no. You know, Ishmael's finally getting to the age. You'd start to be thinking, great things are going to happen in, in our son's life. He's finally old enough for God to start making a great nation out of Ishmael. And God says, no. Sarah's going to have a child even though you're 99 years old and she's 90. Well, you know the story. She gives birth to Isaac. God comes through on His promise. Then in chapter 20, look at this story. From there, Abraham journeyed towards the territory of the Negeb and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said to his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, the king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, You are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, Will you kill an innocent people? Did he not say himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In integrity of my heart, in the innocence of my hands, I've done this. Then God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, I just want you to see this. Abraham, once again, even after Isaac is born, begins to get worried, commits the same sin again, living according to his flesh. Abimelech's like, I'm innocent. I didn't know. And he's like, yeah, I know you didn't touch her because I didn't let you touch her. What's being highlighted through all this? God is making sure the promise happens no matter what. No matter what Abraham does, the promise is going to happen. What's the difference between the Mosaic Covenant and the Abrahamic Covenant? The promise to Abraham is a one-way promise saying, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get it done. It's not going to be according to your works. It's going to be according to the promise. The Mosaic Covenant is you do this and I'll do this. So then, let's keep reading in Genesis 20 here. Verse 7, Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live, but do not let, or, but do not return her but if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. 
Then in verse 14, then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. So Sarah said, behold, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone, you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all, closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. The Lord visited Sarah as He had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as He had promised. So what happens? Abraham sins. Abraham leaves what? With more money, more oxen, and more land. Does that bother you? The Old Testament, in an uncomfortable manner, presses forth the grace of God and the promise of God to the point where we read it and we're amazed. Look at Abraham's children. Were these upright men who just did such great things? No. God was going to make the promise happen even through all the scuzzbags that come along. Through Jacob, think about Judah. They don't become bigger creeps, some of, some of these sons. What's happening? God is keeping His promise according to His grace. So let's come back to our text and read it again. He says, have you never read the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman, one by the free woman, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh. What does that mean? According to man's scheming. That's how Ishmael was born while the son of the free woman was born through the promise. A couple of things we can learn from this. God's promises are trustworthy and life-giving. If God says it, it's going to happen. I know you know that, but why is it so hard to believe that? It's hard to believe when you can't see it. If you were 99 years old and you didn't have a son yet, it would be hard to believe. But God's Word never fails and His promises are always true. Second thing, if you are God's child, His grace is sufficient to save us even when our faith wavers. Is Abraham saved? You better believe he's saved. Did Abraham, was Abraham's faith perfect? It was not perfect. It was a wavering faith, but God persevered that faith to the end. And he got into the Hall of Fame of Faith chapter of the Bible, and so did Sarah, even though they both laughed at God. God's promises come true. If you're His elect, your faith may flounder, but you will be kept, and it won't be because you're better than the person who falls away. 
It'll because be because the God of promise keeps you according to His grace. So, trust God's promise of a supernatural birth. Second, see the difference in offspring. I'm asking the question, who's your mama? According to this allegory. Look at verse 24. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. So he's using this as an illustration. He's not going back to history and proving this. He's saying, here's a way to illustrate it to you. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, you can't go back in the Old Testament and figure out how Hagar is a part of the Mosaic Covenant other than in this illustration, she's a slave to Abraham and the people who are under the Mosaic Covenant are slaves. So it's an allegory. So he says there's there, there are two covenants, one from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. Mount Sinai is where Moses got the law. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. Here's what he's saying. She's an example. Hagar is an example of the law of Moses in the present day Jerusalem. Now, in the present day, Jerusalem is trusting in the law and rejecting their Christ. And those in Jerusalem who are living under the Mosaic Covenant are slaves to sin. And she represents the Jerusalem here on earth. But then, in verse 26, he says, but the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. He quotes Isaiah 54.1. Israel is described as the barren one. Israel is in exile. It looks like the promise is not going to be fulfilled in Israel. And Isaiah is saying, scattered one, desolate one, Israel, you are going to bear more children than the one who has a husband. You barren one. Children are going to come from you like you wouldn't believe. So in a sense... He's comparing these two women as an illustration. Jerusalem in the earth, on earth, is under the law because they're trusting in the law of Moses because they've rejected the promise of Abraham and uh, they are enslaved to sin. But those who are children of the heavenly Jerusalem, children of the promise, children of Sarah, For them, 
Rejoice, for you'll have more children than the other. The law did not produce genuine children for Abraham. The law never birthed out a child of God, ever. All the circumcision never made a child of God. All the law-keeping never made a child of God. Because when man puts himself up to the law, he finds out he falls short. Do you believe in a God who can do what He said even when it seems humanly impossible? You see, the only way to get the second birth is to believe in a supernatural God who can birth out a supernatural child. You have to believe in what you can't see. How does the new birth happen? Jesus says it's like the wind. The Spirit comes and He does it. So who's your mama? Who represents you? If you're trusting in Christ, the heavenly Jerusalem, the Jerusalem where there's no slavery, but there's all freedom, that is your mother, Sarah. The one who believed by faith is who you stem from. And that's what he says in verse 26, but Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. You see, he's saying to this church, what he's always been saying is, who are you? Believe who you are. Don't you know? Do you really want to go back and live in the old Jerusalem under the old slavery and look forward to death? That's not life. And so here's the application. Here's what he gets to. And it's to live as free children by faith in God's promises. Look at verse 28. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. We're children of election. Remember Jacob and Esau in their mother's womb, Romans 9? What's the difference between the two? Before they'd done anything good or bad, God said, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. So it's not according to man who wills or works, but according to God who promises, God who chooses, God who elects. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise, children of faith in the promise. The people who are saved are people who trust God, not people who have the famous last words. Hey, watch this. I think I can do it. You know how many people swing out into eternity on that rope? I'm pretty confident when I stand before God, you know, I'll give an account. I'm pretty confident. The most foolish thing a man can do is reject the promise of God, pure grace, and say, I'm going to do it. And yet, we do what Abraham did so often, don't we? How often do you just take off in your day? In your own strength, in your own power, not according to faith in the Gospel, 
forgetting you're a child of God, forgetting you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, how easy it is to just so quickly take off in the power of the flesh and make ourselves slaves again. Foolishness. But verse 29 says, but just as at the time he who was born according to the flesh, or, but just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. He's saying, don't be surprised these Judaizers are persecuting you. Don't be surprised at the false teachers that are trying to enslave you under the law. Same thing happened. Hagar began to mock Sarah. Ishmael began to laugh at Sarah. And Sarah says, send him out of here. Get him out of here. Abraham didn't know if he wanted to do that, and God said, listen to your wife. Get the slave woman out. And this is the illustration that we're given. Verse 30, but what does the Scripture say? Quotes Genesis 21.10, cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but children of the free woman. If you want to live by the law, you'll be cast out. You'll have to stand up against it. You'll have to achieve all the law commands. Do you hear the Gospel? The Gospel of Jesus Christ is you can't do it. God, by His promise, can get it done. If you trust in God's promise, you're in. Not only are you in, we're going to see in the next few chapters, you're given the power of the Spirit to begin to change by the grace of God, but the child of the promise receives the inheritance that the free woman receives. So he says, once again, remember who you are. You were birthed out as you believed in Christ, not when you kept the law. He's already made that argument. You didn't get saved. You didn't receive the Spirit when you kept the law. But when I presented Christ before you, put Him on display, that's when it happened. Know who you are. And that you already have the inheritance as a son. And then here's the command in verse 5.1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Why did Jesus die? You're a slave to sin. Why did He die? Why did He come free you? You could, you know, you could say a lot of things. You're in prison. Jesus comes. He frees you to go do what? For freedom, Christ has set you free. You want to know the purpose of your salvation? It's so that you can be free. No longer submit to sin that's killing you. But you can be free to love God and walk in step with the Spirit and receive the blessing of the new covenant. Why, oh why, Galatian church, 
Do you want to submit to slavery when for freedom Christ set you free? It is hard to believe the Gospel. That Jesus just wipes my sin away. And then my faith that is nothing to brag about, that's weak, God looks at that and says, I give you grace through faith. Even through that faith, I'm giving you grace. Even though we still sin and struggle with sin, we need two things from the Gospel. We talked about this at Sunday school. We need a God that wipes away sin. And we need a God who empowers us to kill sin. And when we don't, there's grace for us to stand up and fight, a, fight another day in Christ's righteousness. That's freedom. That's freedom. When you screw up tomorrow, there's still a Savior who will remind you of His blood and say, why did I bleed? The song we just sang. He bled for Adam's, what's the word? Helpless race. Helpless. Unable to help themselves. That's what Christ came to do. We must trust God's promises above our works. We must trust Christ who is the fulfillment of all of His promises. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For all the promises of God find their yes in Him, not in you. Every promise of God to you is finds its yes and amen in Christ, not in you. That's good news. So it's no surprise. We're not going to go through it. I know you know the story. Nicodemus comes. Jesus is reading his heart. The verse is right before this in chapter 2 of John, John 2. Jesus knows every man's heart. Nicodemus comes. Nicodemus is wondering, what do I do? Jesus says, you need to be born of the Spirit. You need to be born again. You need God to do it. You need God to rot good works in you because it's not going to come from you. Father, thank You so much for the good news of the Gospel. Lord, I thank You that Your Word tells us that You are faithful. If we'll confess our sins, You're faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Father, I thank You that through John, You tell us that he who says he has no sin is a liar. Make God a liar. Lord, we cannot say we don't have no sin, but we thank You for the promise that when we do sin, You're faithful and just to forgive us. Father, I pray that we as Christians would not use our freedom in order to enslave ourselves once again into sin. But rather, Lord, I pray that You help us repent of our sins, kill our sin, Lord, that we might live new lives in the power of Your Spirit. Pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.